You're listening to Leading Up with Udemy. This podcast is your guide to developing your skills as an emerging or seasoned leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently to create a better world. I think our listeners are going to love hearing Dr. Rob talk about servant leadership and talking about how leaders can have meetings with their team and ask people, what do you think and how do they feel and create this safe environment where they can talk to the boss and say, you know, boss, I don't agree with you and give tough feedback and take it always in the spirit of getting better together. So I think his philosophy of servant leadership and the stories and examples he gives are our listeners are going to love it. A lot of people say, well, if you're a servant leader, you're giving away power. No, you're not. You're really not. You're not giving away any power. You're actually being more powerful and you're being more humble, which takes more strength than anything as a leader. To be humble enough to go, wow, you're right. Or wow, that's a really different way to look at it. Or when's the last time people ask their employees, what do you think we should do? If the employee says it, it makes sense and they do it. Wow, they have ownership of what they're doing. What a novel approach. What a problem to have that people are owning their job. This week on Leading Up, my guest is leadership coach, Dr. Robert Wengen. Driven by a passion for leadership, business, and management, Dr. Rob leads efforts at Intel to build the capabilities needed to ensure a smoothly running global supply chain. He created a unique leadership training and coaching program to help people understand not only how to lead, but to understand their leadership identity and develop a worldview that will help them reach their full potential. His program is rooted in more than a decade of education and research, and Rob has worked tirelessly to change the leadership perspectives of his colleagues, his students. He holds an MBA and a doctorate in organizational leadership and is an adjunct professor at Purdue University, Southern New Hampshire University, and Grand Canyon University. Dr. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alan. Glad to be here. So you spent a decade studying leadership in an academic setting, practicing it every day in your daily work. How did you develop this passion for the study and practice of leadership? Well, really, it started with working for really bad leaders, people that just really didn't quite get it. I said, there's got to be something more to this than this. There's got to be. And as I went through all the learnings and all the readings and I put the time in to understand things, I started to realize that that's not really the most beneficial way to lead, that there are other ways, which through all those times, looking at things like transactional, transformational leadership, things along those lines, I kind of at the end or towards the end of that 10-year time frame, connected with servant leadership. That's basically my inherent style. And it was great to find out that it actually was a style that I could actually research more. And since then, I've just been immersed in it. Yeah, it reminds me, we had a guest on the show, Kim Cameron. He's a professor at the University of Michigan. And he's researched and written extensively about the views people have on the workplace. And he basically says there's the transaction kind of person, transactional pay, perks, promotions. And then there's this other side, he calls it the purpose kind of person. And it depends less on what they receive, more on what you're able to contribute to serve others and to leave a legacy. And I'm wondering, do you think people lean more to transactional or purpose-driven view? I think it really does depend first on the position that the person's in. For example, sales, sales motivation, things like that is very transactional. Very, if you hit this, we give you that. 
if you achieve this, we give you that. And I'm sure there's other roles out there that are like that, but in my career, that's the ones I focused on the most. However, I think as you start realizing that what people want is to feel heard. They want to feel like you understand where they're coming from, what they're all about, and treat them like a person. And that communication with your manager, your leader, whomever is two-way. You should be able to challenge your leader in a professional way and feel comfortable doing that, just like they're going to challenge you. So I think some role-specific aspects, you have to be more transactional. And in the same respect, when I say that, I was a servant leader in a highly transactional sales environment, and my team absolutely just adopted it and loved it. And we hit some serious goals, to say the very least. So I think at the end of the day, it boils down to the organization that you're working in. Do they engage in you being supportive in a servant leadership manner? Or are they more worried about, get me the numbers so I can get the stock people off my back? And that's just being very real. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. It's right. some companies just have to live for the stock market. They don't have any other options. So they do get a little stuck there as well. All right. So the, I suppose big lesson is servant leadership. We've heard about authentic leadership, purpose-driven leadership, situational leadership. Tell me then, what is servant leadership? You... Don't work with the employee, you work with the person. You get to understand who they are. I know we might talk about worldview and sense-making and things like that, but if I don't understand who the person is, I can't lead them. If you don't show your employees that you care about them, why should they care about you? And they shouldn't. I mean, it's a job, but they'll move on. Employees leave managers, they don't leave companies. And that's one of the biggest fallacies out there that I've ever seen. They do leave companies and they leave companies because the company let the manager manage that way. Well, you let the manager manage that way. So aren't you accountable? And once we get that perspective going, then we can have what you can look at more or less like a top to bottom servant leadership perspective. You're saying that someone going up the ladder, the hierarchy is responsible for that manager. Exactly. Who's managing those people. And that's where that coaching comes into play. And unfortunately, depending on what type of environment you're in, if you're crushing your numbers and you're making things happen, you're usually as a manager left alone, whether you're doing it right or not. And you have people staying there and not leaving and turnover and bad employee engagement scores and things like that is, is one way to gauge what's going on. But in some organizations, if you are hitting your numbers and you're getting your deliverables in, we're going to kind of let you lead the way you want to lead, even if maybe that's not the best long-term solution. I like servant leadership as a philosophy and underpinning, and then maybe all of those other things perhaps sit on top of that. And I know there are literally a hundred different definitions of leadership and a hundred different defining sort of leadership views. (laughs) That's to say the least. (laughs) So there's a lot right now of people because of hybrid feeling disconnected. They're losing their sense of belonging. They're feeling isolated, not so much included. And the networks are kind of breaking down. So whose fault is that? Are we giving managers a pass by saying that this is just happening and it's all because of hybrid? Aren't managers responsible for those things? They most certainly are. I can tell you at the current position I have, about once a week or once every other week, I think now, our boss will check in with the entire team and ask them, how are you feeling? And you can be very honest and say, this is exactly how I'm feeling. She's extremely receptive to it because that's what she wants. Because what happens is, if you don't deal with the reality, people will create their own. So then you have that problem that you have to work through and get that stuff squared away. So I'm always a believer in just because you're a manager doesn't mean you're a leader. And just because you're a leader doesn't mean you have to be a manager. 
But if you are a manager and you are a leader, then we have a perfect storm and it works very well. But it's your job to make sure that your people want to be there, feel like they belong there, feel like it's a piece of the puzzle. Now, let's be really honest about that. There's a certain gregariousness that comes along with being that person. And not every leader is that person, so we get it. But it's not hard to show caring to people. That's really what it's all about. If someone comes to me and says, hey, I need to take three days off, you know, my son or my dad, I said, just go. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. We'll be here when you come back. And those people usually work harder and they say, wow, he really cares. And then the second thing really is, do you roll up your sleeves and get involved with your people? When I was working at a previous company, if we got really busy, I'd roll up my sleeves and start entering orders and doing quotes. There's nothing beyond what you're supposed to do because team is a verb, not a noun. And you have to team with your people for them to team with you. So show them you care, ask how they're doing, right? Those are things that I think leaders don't naturally think about, but these things need to come to the fore now. I would agree. It has to be sincere and you have to be able to take feedback from employees that they're right and you're wrong. I was at an organization and after a year, there was a young lady that was an informal leader and she came to my office and she shut the door and she says, I need to apologize to you. I said, for what? She says, well, I've been really hard on you. I said, keep being hard on me. I don't get a free pass just because it says manager on the door. We're all in this together. And if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm not supporting you, I don't have all the answers. I'm accountable and responsible for the results, but I don't have all the answers. So if you've got them, share them with me. I'm fine with that all the way around. So what you're describing is a good example of people are at their best when they feel safe enough to dare and Amy Edmondson wrote a book, The Fearless Organization, and and wrote and discovered and sort of brought popular psychological safety. What do you think about that? Are you intentional about creating a safe environment? Absolutely. I want my teams to not only work well with each other, but also have it with me. And I think there's, again, two sides of that coin. You have the manager that's engaged with the people and doing it, or the leader, if you will. Then you have how the organization is handling the people, what's going on in the market. I mean, let's look at the tech industry right now, which is what I'm a part of. Tech industry is getting beat up. No two ways about it. And the organization that I'm at showed more caring and more understanding for people that they knew they had to make some cuts to. It wasn't like they just said, here's two weeks, have a nice day, thanks, bye. They were very sensitive to the whole thing. And that added to the, wow, they actually do care about us. We're not just, you know, employee number 167855, or actually a human being. And the managers were engaged in all that as well. We always say it takes a village. It does take a village from the organization, from the leadership of the organization, down to literally the last person that turns the lights off at the end of the day. They all have to be embraced in a sense of security, or at the very least, embraced in a sense of blatant honesty. Look, guys, we don't know what the layoffs are going to be next month, but they are coming. I'm just going to let you know that right now. That's much preferred to, no, no, we really don't know anything just yet. We'll let you know. Well, you have to know something. I mean, just tell us. But again, we have legal and we have you know uh, the stock market and rumors and the internet and all that. So it does get a little bit more complicated. But I just think you know, just talking to people as opposed to talking at them goes a long way. It's all about your mindset and worldview. What's your worldview? How does it inform you as a leader and in your teaching of leadership? My worldview really is, first of all, everybody needs a hero. Not everybody has that person they can go to as a leader or as a confidant or as a mentor. And unfortunately, those people think they're supposed to have all the answers. And really, nobody does. There's no 
book to how to be successful in life. You just kind of go along and do it and you stumble and you bruise your knuckles and things like that. But my worldview is I always just want to get to understand the person first, what they think, how they feel, what makes them tick. Because if you understand your worldview, you can understand the worldview of somebody else. And the iceberg metaphor is one that's been used for a billion years. But if you can envision that everything above the waterline is the what and everything below the waterline is the why. So to give you an example, you know, Alan, I noticed you're not really making the number of outbound calls you need to make every day. So I really want to put you on a program, blah, 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 blah. We've all heard it if you've been in sales. Well, why don't we find out why he's not making them? Because asking him to make more when he's not making them now is pretty stupid, quite frankly, from a leadership perspective. And I've had this happen to me. Somebody said, well, I'm terrified of making cold calls. I said, well, why? Well, I don't want to make a mistake. I said, they're the perfect ones to make a mistake on because they're totally new customers. We have nothing to lose. If you crash and burn, we'll learn from it and move on. But if you get something, let's go. And it took that edge off of, I never looked at it that way. And they said, I thought you wanted me to close every single one of them. I said, I do, but that's not realistic. So it took that weight off their shoulders so they could just be them. I had a young lady once that came from a warehouse in Minnesota to an inside sales role in Phoenix without any training or anything like that. So I showed up there and one day I, I walked past and she says, God, I'm terrible at this job. I'm just terrible at this job. So I said, can I be in my office for a second? She goes, are you going to yell at me? I said, I'm not going to yell at you at all. <laughs> I said, why don't you just learn to talk like you? Stop trying to sell people. Just be you and you'll be fine. Three years later, she was an inside sales manager for the company because she had the work ethic. She had the desire. She had all that. She just thought there was some magical way of doing it. And there isn't a magical way of doing it. And if you have support from your leader to help you get there, that gives that safe environment that takes the pressure off and they can do their thing and go from there. I wonder why when you walk past somebody say, can I see you in my office? They, why do they immediately think negative thoughts? Because I think that's every person <laughs> in the world. It's definitely me. <laughs> I just think it's, it's got that that aura of what did I do? But I can tell you the job I had maybe going back two jobs ago, if I asked them, hey, can I see you for a second? There was none of that stress because they knew it was very open back and forth. When you don't talk to somebody for a week or two and it's only good morning, thank you, blah, 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 blah. Then suddenly you say, can I see you in your office? There's no rapport brought up. There's no relationship established. It becomes my boss wants to see me behind closed doors. As opposed to where I was at, the thought process is, oh, Rob wants to ask me my opinion of something. He just wants me to be very open, and not talk about it in front of everybody else. I said, yeah, I want to see what you think and go from there. So as a leader, your advice is make sure that you're frequently checking in with people. Yep. I would walk our sales floor probably four to five times a day. Just desk to desk. How are we doing? What's going on? Great job today. Thank you so much. There's multiple pieces to the puzzle. And the job of a good manager is to coach. Well, you can't do that by drive-by coaching. If I walk by and tell you something and walk away and never come to you again, you weren't coached, you were talked to. But if we can get the right pieces of the puzzle out and kind of go from there, then it makes things a lot easier. buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now.
So we hear a lot about the idea that managers should become coaches, right? And we see customers that say, we want a coaching program. We want more coaching. We want our managers to be coaches. What do you think? What does all that mean to you? Well, I think, I think we do want our managers to be coaches. I think at times what happens though is leadership forgets that not every manager knows how to coach and they kind of get stuck in this role of, well, I talked to him about it. Well, that's not really coaching. What was the conversation? And we say, it's not rocket science. If you just talk to people, people know what they're doing. They know what's going on. They know what they are, are not doing, what they're good at, what they're bad at. It's not a mystery to them. It's just what their comfort zone is. So if you can coach them and get them going where you want to go, I look at that like you're investing in them. So later on down the road, I don't have to spend as much time coaching them because they get it. They know where they're going and I understand what help they need when they get there. So in the idea of a worldview or coaching someone, how do people grow or change their worldview? That's a great question. I'm not necessarily sure if they can. They can from the ways of sense-making, how people make sense of things. Some people will put pieces of a puzzle together because of their worldview and say, well, this is the way it's going to be. Well, not necessarily. And in some cases, a person's worldview can help them. In some cases, a person's worldview can hinder them and make them a little bit more of a challenge to grow. So once you understand the worldview, you want to understand the sense-making that they have to understand how that worldview came together. How do you put pieces of the puzzle together? And maybe, and I got to be a little careful how I say this, I don't want to say they put it together wrong, but they may not be looking at other aspects that they could go, I never looked at it that way. Well, I'd sure like you to, because I think it'll help you. Because if you were to look at anybody who's listening to this podcast now and say, okay, do you make sense of things the same way now as you did 20 years ago? It's impossible to say yes. COVID changed the world. So how are you making sense of things to grow? And I worked with a young lady named Celine McFadden did so much work on herself to change her worldview and change how she made sense of things. And she went from being an inside sales rep to an inside sales manager to a director for a territory, all because of her having a safe environment, for lack of a better word, to take the training wheels off and try it. But if the employee or the person doesn't want to do that, doesn't want you to say, hey, why did you look at it that way? Why don't we try to look at it this way? That's where this thing starts to slow down a little bit because we want them to be receptive. A lot of people say, well, if you're a servant leader, you're giving away power. No, you're not. You're really not. You're not giving away any power. You're actually being more powerful and you're being more humble, which takes more strength than anything as a leader. To be humble enough to go, wow, you're right. Or wow, that's a really different way to look at it. Or when's the last time people ask their employees, what do you think we should do? If the employee says it, it makes sense and they do it. Wow, they have ownership of what they're doing. What a novel approach. What a problem to have that people are owning their job. There's so much wrapped up in what you said, creating that safe environment that they feel safe enough to say something to you. You having as a leader, the humility to say, oh yeah, I screwed up and like admit mistakes, show vulnerability. We're human. Yeah. Right. The only person you want to have not show vulnerability is probably a surgeon. <laughs> That's maybe the only okay. person on the planet where you don't want them to say, I'm not sure about this one. <laughs> Wait a minute. And honestly, Alan, it takes so much weight off of a manager or a leader's shoulders when you're just humble and your people can just talk to you and you can talk to them. And it's not a back, it's not posturing and selling the boss on my ideas or anything like that. It's just two people talking to get to the right end conversation, if you will. Talk about the leader's role in inspiring and influencing people. You have to be able to socially influence people. And what we mean by that is 
When you go out, you hang out for like a happy hour or a Christmas party or something like that, just tear up your business card. You're no longer a boss. You're just a person. That's all you are. And you just engage with them at that level so they can see you not in your office, not in your, quote, work battle gear, unquote, and just be able to be socially tied to them and see what's going on and being able to understand them as people. All right. So I see a bunch of guitars. Just a few. A long time ago, I read this fantastic book called The Art of Possibility, and it was Mm -hmm. written by Benjamin Zander. He was the founder of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. His wife's a Harvard Business School professor. And the thesis or the takeaway from that book, I remember he says, he finally realized that his job as a conductor of an orchestra is to awaken the possibility in others. And I thought, that sounds an awful lot like a business leader to me. So you're a rock star, Rob. You're a business leader. (laughs) How has your passion for music influenced your professional career or your leadership career? I'll flip that for the first part of the sentence. My professional career has helped fund my addiction to buying guitars. (laughs) But I'm always a believer in you have to have a rhythm. There's an operating rhythm. There's a communication rhythm. There's a rhythm that gets into things. The problem is sometimes everybody and their brother wants to pile their message on top of the rhythm so it gets lost in the wash. But you still want to have an operating rhythm. Do you have a morning meeting? Can people talk openly? Do you go over the results at the end of the month and really get into the information that people want? That type of rhythm has to be there. The next, I would say, is harmony. If everything's in harmony, you're not hearing sour notes. You're not experiencing sour things. A great example would be, gee, I had three people quit in the last two months. Well, man, you don't have harmony. Hate to burst it to you, but something's wrong. People just leave because they don't feel valued and cared for in the job they're in. They're going to leave. So that harmony breaks loose. And when I worked at a previous company, when I was a branch manager, that group had the most harmony of any group I've ever seen. We didn't have sour notes. We really didn't. It was just in a rhythm Things went really well. And again, I attribute a lot of that to them. I mean, this was a team that during COVID grew 30%. And it wasn't because I'm some fantastic leader. It's because we all were able to communicate, work together. They felt a safe environment. They cared about their jobs and they worked hard. So there was a lot of harmony that went on. There was no sour notes. Now, consequently to that point, if a sour note comes up because you have so much harmony, it really stands out. You can really hear that sour note go, man, what happened there? How did we miss that? What happens when there is a sour note? How do you fix that? Well, that's when you have to have a direct conversation and you're banking on the worldview, the sense-making, the building equity to have that conversation with a person where it becomes very much a give and take. I had a gentleman working for me, just could not get to work on time no matter what happened. So I had to sit him down. I had to give him a written warning and all that. I won't use his name. I said, Tom, let me tell you something, man, here or anywhere else, this is a career killer. I get it. Maybe you don't like the job. Maybe you don't like the company. Maybe you don't like the drive. I get it. We'll try to work with those things. But ultimately, as a leader, I can't look the other way at this because it takes away from my ability to lead the rest of the people. And he looked right at me and says, I totally understand what you're talking about. I said, if I can do anything to make it easier for you, let me know, but I got to take the course I got to take. And he understood it wasn't me taking out my ruler and wrapping him on the knuckles. It was, you know how we run the place. You know how we do this stuff. You know how we're one team. Here's the problem that we have. Well, I love that story just because servant leadership and positive leadership, it's not all fairy tales and unicorns. No, the world is hard enough. Work is hard enough. 
let's try to make it a little bit more civil and just being able to talk and exchange ideas. Sometimes there's tough things you need to do, but your example that you gave is a perfect example of you creating equity. Oh, totally. When I was at Mobile Mini, we developed a leadership program. I worked for a gentleman by the name of Kelly Williams who had more equity built up in that company with his team than anybody I've ever seen in my lifetime. If he did sit down with you and had to give you like a tough talking to, and he was not mean or anything like that, you left more upset that you let him down because he was that kind of leader. I was there for maybe, I don't know, two, three weeks. And he came over and he says, can I see you in my office a second? I'm like, oh, great, <laughs> great. President of the company after three weeks wants to see me in his office. He sat down with me and he said, I just have one question for you. And I said, what's that? And he said, how can I become a better leader? So you want to talk about a guy that's humble and approachable. He built so much equity with me right in that one conversation. I got what he was all about. And I would go to the wall for the guy. And his people did on a constant basis. So I'd love to hear more about that what you're saying is leaders have to build equity. And one example that you just gave was call teammates into your office and ask them to give you advice on how you can be a better leader. Exactly. And again, that's being humble and quite frankly, being vulnerable. I'll never forget walking in a yard in Houston, Texas after a rainstorm in dress shoes in about two inches of mud to check out equipment so I could learn more about it, <laughs> so I could help lead people on it. And this guy's looking at me saying, we've never had anybody do this before. But I said, I got to see this stuff. I have to understand your world. Otherwise, I don't get it. And that's really where that building equity comes into play. Yeah. Get your suit and tie and fancy shoes dirty and get out in the field and go look yeah. at something. Exactly. It's just a matter of whether you want to make the time to do it. And if you care enough to do it. So as we wrap up here, we have a question that we ask all of our guests. What are you curious about and learning now, personally or professionally? Well, personally, I'm teaching myself the drums right now. So that's a little bit different and taking some voice lessons to get all that back in the skies. But I would say on the professional side, I'm really researching a lot about anxiety because I see people in roles having a lot of anxiety. I want to be able to acknowledge it quicker understand it faster because anxiety isn't, I don't want to do that role. Anxiety is I'm scared to do it. It stresses me out to do it. There's parts of it I don't think I can do. And that's when the coaching comes in on the backside, but you have to be able to recognize when the issue isn't just poor performance, but it's anxiety. And it's such a broad spectrum of information, but it is something I'm keeping an eye on now because I'm teaching my first class at Purdue. And there's a lot of students and they get stressed out and I'm picking up on it quicker and faster and helping them through the thing. So it kind of prompted me to go, you know, I should be looking at this a little bit more just as an overall leader to see what I can do to go from there. Beautiful. Dr. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Alan, thank you. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Dr. Robert Wenjin for being our guest on the podcast today. Follow Leading Up a podcast from Udemy Business, wherever you find your podcasts. Listen to new episodes every Wednesday. Did you learn something new this episode? If you did, and I hope you did, consider telling a friend about the show or sharing the show on LinkedIn. We want to inspire as many leaders as we can. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you develop leaders at scale and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, 
Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard. Soundboard.